0: You are listening to the Revive Church Podcast. We pray that this sermon blesses you and enhances your walk with God. Feel free to come worship with us on a Sunday morning, or you can learn more about us online at revivechurch.org. So we are small, but we are mighty. Is that right? Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Uh, We were feeling pretty, uh, pretty strong yesterday, weren't we, with the wonderful wedding. And uh, this is, it was a great example, as Sandy pointed out, of our church because everyone came together, everyone participated in the marriage, the wedding uh, for Darren and Janine yesterday. It was so exciting because just six weeks ago, uh, they had come to know Christ as their Savior. And just three weeks ago, uh, we had the honor and privilege of baptizing them. And then yesterday, we had the honor and privilege as a whole church coming together Uh, helping them to make a a covenant uh, agreement with God in their marriage. So it's very, very exciting, and we're just so grateful to be able to be a part of it. And so being small and being mighty means that we're all ministry volunteers, aren't we? Every one of us. And so that's the type of church that God has called us to be. And yesterday was such a perfect example of what that is. If you have uh, appreciated Matt McCaslin's uh, leadership in worship over this last month, uh, be sure and thank him. He's going to be going into surgery this next week, and so he won't be able to help us for a while. So uh, please uh, thank him when you get a chance uh, to do so. We are, are in our study uh, coming out of, out of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 6. And uh, we are continuing this whole passage, this whole wonderful passage about Jesus using bread as an example and talking about bread as an example of of who He is and the eternal life that it brings uh, when we have uh, access and we have access to this bread. I am always amazed when people, especially Christians have a sense that Jesus was this passive go with the flow figure whose whose life message was can't we all just get along that was not Jesus Jesus is the most controversial person in history he is the most controversial controversial person in the present and he will be the most controversial person in the future as well his miracles were able to draw incredible crowds making people come curiously, asking, well, who is this man and and what is going on here? And when he would speak, it was like a sword cutting very much, cutting to the quick. It was like a sword that would left nothing hanging. He deepened every understanding, every false foundation, and every false belief. He uh, made it possible for people to have a clear view of who God was, not Some unknown idol, as Frank was mentioning before, but clearly who God was. For example, take Frank's central passage last Sunday. He was speaking primarily from John chapter 6, verse 35, where Jesus said to the crowds, He said, I am the bread. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. We see here, starting with Jesus feeding the 5,000, to Jesus going to the other side of the lake and the crowds following him all the way over there and then beginning to explain that he is the bread, we see this this movement of understanding. We see a deepening of people understanding and hearing who Jesus is. Last week, Jesus is claiming that he himself is the bread of life. Today's text is an explanation of Jesus' claim. Jesus is saying he's the center of faith to which the Father draws people. So last week, today, next week, we see this interconnected uh, movement through Scripture, uh, teaching uh, that that, uh, Jesus is central to all things. But I want you to understand that the sermons from last week, today, and next week, they're not identical. John's teaching is not identical Jesus is is not repeating himself over and over again, and John's not writing in circles when he writes throughout the the chapter 6 of John. We see here that the conversation that people are are having with Jesus is getting more and more difficult. They had recognized exceptional greatness in him. After all, he had just miraculously transformed five small loaves of gluten bread and two small fishes into a meal that would feed more than 5,000, possibly 10,000 people or more. And so they were able to see with their own eyes, they were able to chew the food with their own teeth, and they could wrap their brains around this very physical, literal bread. And as a result of that, they were ready to force him to be their king. Instead, Jesus slipped away because they didn't understand. They didn't comprehend who he was or what the purpose of this miracle was. They weren't looking beyond the physical. They were only able to see what Jesus had done through these barley loaves and fish. They were ready, though, to forcibly make him their king. And so Jesus, understanding that they were not ready for the message that he had, he slipped away. They had heard something in verse 35, as we just just looked at, that they could not wrap their brains around. They heard Jesus say, I am the bread that came out of heaven. And in verse 41. So when Jesus took the bread miracle to the next level of teaching, what happened? The crowds began to grumble can't you just hear them making side remarks? Who does he think he is making claims like that? They're complaining. Here we traveled all the way around the lake. We've been searching for him and we finally found him and he's telling us this kind of information. Can you hear them mocking him? This, here's this man who uh, is the uh, son of Joseph and Mary and he's claiming to come out of heaven. The sarcasm must have been so thick it was dripping and they would be arguing without involving Jesus in this, in this, in this uh, conversation. Why? Here's the irony. The crowds that were following Jesus, they, they, they had decided that, Jesus, him, that he did not come from heaven. They knew his parents. And this, of course, reveals to us that the crowds did not know who Jesus' father was. That they were thinking in terms of some, some some form that was not clear to them, that they could not get, that they could not put their brains around. The truth that we know is not is not found in knowing Jesus' human father and his mother, but the truth is found in knowing that Jesus has come from the Father in heaven. What they thought they knew stood in the way of the, of the crowds knowing the truth about God's Son. They had become the experts in Jesus' identity. I heard a commercial recently that, that, uh, that said, had this line in it, it said, identity thieves don't care who you are, they just want your money. And with Jesus, they weren't really concerned about who he truly was. They just wanted the benefits that they had seen uh, that came from being in his presence. So, a question for us, are we able to look beyond what we've always known to be true in order to see the truth in Jesus? From the crowd's perspective, their risk in naming Jesus king of the Jews had been minimized by seeing or touching or tasting Jesus' miracle loaves. The risk of starvation would be eliminated if Jesus was their king. So anyone who could do that has earned the right to be king, right? I think so much of our physical existence is about removing risk from our lives, about trying to figure out things so clearly and so specifically that once we're involved in it, there's no risk. Everything just falls into place. We develop develop elaborate protections for ourselves and and we quote the non-existent Bible verse, God helps those who help themselves. And yet, our spiritual birth and our spiritual growth is about trusting and believing in God in all things. Even trusting God to provide our daily bread. We know that faith in God removes risk but not our own efforts they do that does not so besides being the son of god sent from god the son of god sent from god what must jesus do to earn the right to be your king what faith risk must jesus remove from your life experience so he can earn the right to be your king What obstacle is there that he needs to remove before you can say, Jesus deserves to be my king now. He didn't deserve it before, but now he does. A friend recently counseled me saying, you can squeeze so much risk out of a situation that you can completely squeeze out the work and power of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that true? We spend so much time and so much energy trying to figure things out ourselves, trying to make things happen out of our own resources, that we eliminate the resources of God. We've been praying for Chad uh, over this last week, Wednesday night. He asked us to pray for him. Uh, He's an LAPD officer, and he had been reassigned to South Central. And uh, he he was... he was concerned that there might be some difficulties and so we we've been praying because we learned that right after he was assigned there that there was an ambush uh, on a squad car and uh, four officers were attacked none of them were injured uh, but very right in the area where he is he is now patrolling and so he asked us to pray for him and we had been praying for him and so after after we were after we prayed speaking of Chad Chad's response to us was that our prayers for him and Michael Schlegel who's a sheriff uh, uh, in in San Bernardino County um, is that he said once I got there I really think that I could make a difference in the people's lives in this new location rather than remove all the risk let's ask God for opportunities to truly make a change may truly make a difference in the lives of people that we're working with. I'm going to ask you if you'll turn in your Bibles with me to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, verses 41 through 51. 41 through 51. Therefore the Jews were grumbling about him because he said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. And we're saying, Is not this Jesus the son of Joseph whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down out of heaven? Jesus answered to them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you for this challenging, inspiring, controversial teaching that you bring to us Help stretch us, Father, beyond our own limits or beyond our own understanding of who you are. Help us to allow your Son, Jesus, to to push the walls away so that we can come out of the boxes that we live in and see you as clearly as possible. We praise you, Father, for this scripture, for this word from your Son. And in his name we pray. Amen. Don't you just love Jesus? Rather than backing off, Jesus buckles down in his teaching here. He brings one difficult lesson after another. I, I'm trying to understand how the how the crowds may have felt while Jesus was speaking to them. And, and the only experience that I can I can draw from is a semester of calculus that I took where. Uh, from the very beginning to the very end, it was just one confusing moment after another. It just seemed to go deeper and deeper into something that I, I was not able to understand. And so I have a sense that the, the crowds before Jesus were listening, and they, they knew algebra, but they weren't able to take those steps into calculus as he was, as he was trying to instruct them. And so in verse 43, we read that Jesus answered them and he said, do not grumble among yourselves. So very quickly we see he doesn't back off. He doesn't try to make it easier for them. He says, stop complaining. Stop grumbling. Stop stop thinking inside of your own head. Step outside of your head for a moment and listen to what I have to say. It was in John chapter 3 where Jesus was explaining to Nicodemus. He was, he was telling him that, that, reminding him of in, in Numbers chapter 21, how the Israelites had been grumbling and complaining and how they had been probably sarcastic with Moses and how, how God came to the end and he let loose poisonous snakes all over the camp of the Israelites. And how, he, the, and how the Israelites, and in their, and their concern and out of their fear of death, and, and some of them even being bitten, came to Moses and said, pray for us because we have sinned, we have, we have rebelled against God. And, 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 and God said, this is the solution. This is how they are able to come out of this. Put a pole, put a, a serpent, a bronze serpent up on a pole, and everyone who looks upon that serpent, they will be healed. And so here again, Jesus is is talking to them about grumbling. And and rather than setting loose snakes within their midst, he basically tells, tells them more and more knowledge, more and more truth about who he is and who the Father is. But their state of mind was not about understanding. Wouldn't it have been nice if the crowd had just stopped and said, okay, this is something that is kind of beyond me right now. Jesus, could have, is it possible that you could explain this to us? Help us to understand. We, we want to know what you're talking about. But instead, they went the other direction. You're saying something that is so foreign to us that we are not able to receive it in any way, shape, or form. We know your, We know your parents. How is it possible that you could come from heaven? And so Jesus is trying to help them step outside of their box, and they're not able. Last week, my grandson and I uh, went uh, on a trip to the optometrist. He was going with me to get my lenses and my glasses changed. And the day before, his kindergarten teacher had told his parents that Hudson was just really excelling in, in art that he was choosing colors colors that were appropriate for the things that he was coloring, uh, that he was able to draw softly and he was able to draw intensely wherever that was important. And most important uh, for a kindergartner, he was able to color within the lines. He was staying within the lines. And so we all praised him, and it was a great Opportunity to to build him up. Well, the next day we're on our way to the optometrist, and we're talking about the fruit of the spirit, self control, which is a pretty frequent conversation that we have. And uh, I was using the example of him coloring within the lines as an example of his self control control, and how that can be applied to other areas of his life as well. And I said, after I paused for a moment and I and I thought, and then I said to him. But Hudson, do me a favor. Don't forget how to color outside of the lines. And he said, Pop, all my life, people have been telling me to color inside the lines. And and, uh, so I said, that's right, you're right. Stay inside the lines. I'll explain to you later what I mean, but not right now. So Jesus, and looking at the crowds that he was talking to, he, he's, I, I can just imagine he's thinking that if they're having trouble learning his teaching, that he is the bread and he's come down from heaven, just wait until he starts teaching about his death on the cross. God is completely coloring outside of the lines of our human understanding and our human experience as he explains what he's doing and as he demonstrates what he's doing in our lives. Verse 44 says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. I picture Jesus just sadly shaking his head as he says this, listening to their murmuring, listening to their complaining. Possibly thousands of people have been searching all around the northern region of the Sea of Galilee, to find Jesus, they have literally come to him. They have literally come to him. And they found him, and they were with him. I think Jesus uses this great effort to, to make a deeper point for us. Our own efforts, our searches, our attempts to make Jesus fit into our minds only leads to grumbling. It only leads to a frustration that we're not able to tolerate, that we're not able to, 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 to control. So we need to stop grumbling and let God draw us to his son. When, when John writes about drawing, that God must draw us, what is he talking about? He's using the word draw, which literally means drag. It literally means drag. God must drag us to himself. And he's using using the word that illustrates a a fishnet that's been thrown over the side of the boat, and then the fishermen are are strenuously pulling the net into the ship, pulling the the fish in with him. And so we recognize that, that this is an effort that God is making, but this is not an effort that we ourselves are making. How does God draw us? How does God draw people? He draws us to himself through his gospel. He draws us to himself through the the life and the words of his son, Jesus Christ. He draws us to himself, making it possible for us to, to see in the word, his word, the living word, the truth of the ages, the truth of Jesus. He draws us to himself in this remarkable way by using the brutal cross of Jesus. At the wedding yesterday, um, I I don't remember who was wearing this. I just noticed that a woman was wearing this beautiful golden cross around her neck as a necklace. And it was truly beautiful, and it got my attention. But the brutal cross only becomes beautiful after we come to Jesus. It's the brutality of Christ's death, of his payment for our sinfulness, how he redeems us. How he justifies it. It's the brutality and, and the excruciating pain and misery of his death that makes it possible, that breaks through the barriers of our, of our not being able to understand who God is and what he's wanting to accomplish in our lives. All of our pride must come tumbling down. And that doesn't come out of a golden cross, it comes out of a brutal cross. The Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians 6, May I never boast of anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and to the world. Jesus elaborates on this statement in verse 45. He says, It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. This phrase, taught of God, comes from Isaiah. It says, All and all your sons will be taught of the Lord. This passage, the scripture passage, as well as other Old Testament passages, point to the time when God's Messiah would come and teach his people. He would teach the people. What's important here is that the people will be taught by God himself. They will believe Jesus, and they will believe who he is. Their hearts and their lives are going to be changed. Jesus explains this as as being born again, again, in chapter 3 of John. The apostle Paul explains this transformation as becoming a new creature. Something, Something indescribable occurs and happens. We are taught. And this is what Jesus is doing here in this passage. Clearly and boldly and bluntly, he's teaching, he's drawing with his words with his understanding, his description of who God is. We see here that everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. We are taught, we learn, we are taught, we hear, and we learn, and we come to Jesus. That's the process. Some time ago, just a few weeks ago, I was talking to some new friends, uh, Jermaine and Takesha, and they were talking about their experience of coming to faith in the Lord. And and I I remember Jermaine saying very clearly, he said, I had this, this come to Jesus moment when everything became clear. Everything began to transform. Everything began to change in my life. And so when we're taught when we're here, what truly hear what Jesus is saying, we come to Him. We are transformed. We are changed. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. In verse forty-six, we read, "Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God; he has seen the Father." So Jesus here is, is making a very clear uh, statement. He's saying, "Who." what you think you, have, you know about the God the Father, you need to set that aside and let me explain clearly to you who, the, who God the Father is. I can do that because I have the authority to do so. I am the Son of God. I have come from heaven. I've come directly from his presence. And so Jesus proclaims that he is the one who reveals the Father to us. So when someone has an idea and tells you, well, this is, this is who God is. This is what my God looks like. This is how my God sounds. This is, the, this is the attitude that God shows me. We need to stop right there and say, I need to know what Jesus says. Because Jesus is the one who clearly states God's identity to us. Verse 47 It reads, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. Frank very uh, clearly and very passionately explained to us last Sunday uh, that those words truly, truly, verily, verily, certainly, certainly, how important they are for us, and we need to see them for what they are, that they are ultimate truth bulletins, that they need to grab our attention very quickly, Because what follows those particular words, that that is the essential. This is something that we need to get. We need to understand that this is coming from Jesus firsthand. This is coming from God to Jesus. He's saying, I am God's Son. I am sent from heaven. I, I am. You must believe what I am revealing to you, the way I am revealing it to you. No other way is going to bring eternal life and then he goes back through all of these beautiful statements in verse 48 he says I am the bread of life I am the bread of life and then he compares this to the manna that their forefathers had eaten he said your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died Every form of bread was miraculously... This this very amazing form of bread was miraculously provided for hundreds of thousands of Israelites. They ate it day after day after day. It was was provided to them daily, not in a way that was provided, okay, here's your week's allotment, here's an allotment for a month. Every day they would go out into the desert and they would collect their daily manna, their their daily bread. And Jesus is making the point... It was provided for them every day, and every one of them died. He could have gone on to say, I miraculously provided more barley loaves of bread than could possibly be eaten for more than, for 5,000 to 10,000 people. Every one of you who ate that bread, you also will die. And then he goes on, he says, but this is the bread, in verse 50, This is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. Clearly, he's not talking about literal bread, is he? He's moved beyond, he's gone to the next level. He's wanting uh, us to understand that this is the requirement of life, this is the staple of eternal life, and that he is that bread. He is that bread, and everyone who eats of it, everyone who partakes of it, everyone who is taught, who hears and comes to Him, they will not die. In verse fifty-one, we see the beautiful conclusion of this particular era, this particular passage. He says, "I am the living bread that came out down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever." and the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So here Jesus adds another element to the explanation, to the understanding of who he is. This bread, who is me, I am this bread, it is my flesh. So what is Jesus saying when he states, the bread is my flesh? Well, there were early understandings after Uh, in the early church, that people who were not Christians considered uh, Christians to be talking about a form of of cannibalism, that they were resorting to eating real human flesh. But this, of course, could not be the meaning that Jesus is talking about because the Old Testament is filled with examples where cannibalism is a curse. It's a curse from God. It's a curse from God for people who are living in such uh, terrible, grave sin that the desperation and the desolation of their life leads them to this particular consequence. So clearly, we're not talking about cannibalism. Jesus isn't saying, come and take a bite of me right now. He's not saying that. Also, some it has been understood, is, is he talking about this bread is being inhabited by him? Is he in this bread? And what we today need to understand is that This understanding that Jesus literally inhabits the bread, it does not date back to the Lord's Supper. It is not and was not essential to salvation. That this did not even become a clear teaching and requirement until the Fourth Lateran Council, which was in 1215 AD. In fact, the idea that Jesus literally inhabited the bread that we are eating, was not even seriously mentioned or discussed until the ninth century after Christ's death. So, he's not talking about cannibalism. He's not talking about communion. He's talking about the cross, isn't he? He's talking about the grace that is delivered to each and every one of us through the cross of Jesus Christ. The glory of God's only Son full of grace and truth is seen in the life and death of Jesus. When you come to Jesus who died on the cross for your salvation, that is a work of pure, free grace. You become a child of God. That happens consciously through faith in Jesus Christ. Why do you need grace? Because without grace, grace, you are not the child of God. You're not children of God. Why do the people that you know, all the people in your lives, why do they need grace? In John chapter 1, verses 12 through 13, we read, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The people we care about, the people we love, they need God's grace that comes through the cross of Jesus Christ in order to be children of God as well. So when we say the Lord's Prayer, we say that that beautiful phrase that's always fascinated me, give us this day our daily bread. And as I, when I was younger, I often thought of that very literally. Let's trust God so that we can depend upon him for every day, every meal that we receive, every day that we have bread, something to eat. And then added to that, as I, as I became older and I became uh, more understanding of who Christ is and what he's doing in our lives, is the sense of, of receiving grace every day, a sense of grace every day. Again, we require grace in order to be born again, and we require grace in order to grow and to continue to become who Christ is with us. John 1.16, John wrote, and from this fullness of Christ, we have all received grace upon grace. So when you come to Jesus who died on the cross for your salvation, that's a work of pure, free grace. That's how we come to know him. That's our come to Jesus moment. That's how we become children of God. He draws us by his grace upon grace. We're going to be taking communion in just a few moments. And again, it's an opportunity for us to remember the grace received through Christ on the cross as his blood was shed we this is symbolized in the fruit of the vine that we drink his body that was sacrificed in order for you and I to be children of God in order for you and I to be able to receive this this incredible gift of grace we're able to remember it each time we take part of the bread and we eat that bread and so this morning We'll be taking communion for those, all of those who are here that have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. If you are a believer in Christ, you have come to Jesus. We want to encourage you and, and welcome you to partake with us. But we're going to stand together, and uh, if you'll stand with me, please. And we're going to say that prayer that so many of us know together. Uh, if you'll say it with me, the our Lord's Prayer. And uh, then we'll begin our worship of God by taking a co- of communion. Let's bow our heads. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.